So you stood in the line uh, at the grocery store and uh, you're waiting to pay for your purchase and you're wearing a warm winter coat because outside it was cold and uh, it made a lot of sense when you were outside but now you've been in the store for 30 minutes and you're trying to find that one thing that your loved one really, really, really wants this Christmas and all they want for Christmas isn't you, they actually want something and so you're looking to find that one thing and then as you're looking for that one thing you find another few things on the way and before you know it you've been in there for 30 minutes so you're looking for maybe decorations or for emergency food supplies just in case uh, some family member shows up from out of town without you expecting it or you have to show up for a Christmas party that you didn't remember until five minutes ago that you were supposed to be going to. So you have all these emergency food supplies just in case. And now you're in your coat and you're feeling the stress, you're feeling the heat, you're feeling the sweat as it drips down your back between your shoulder blades and you're regretting wearing that coat and you're in the line, and you happen to be in the line uh, where the person on cash is a newbie, or a trainee, or worst of all, a talker. <laughs> and you see their mouths opening and closing as they're very genuinely interested in the person five customers ahead of you. And you find yourself measuring how long does it take them to actually scan each item as they pause to share their latest observation of Christmas with the customer, five customers ahead of you. And you see uh, in front that the person who's being served, that the item doesn't have a barcode on. And so you see as they call for assistance, and the second store person comes, and then they take that item and they ever so slowly saunter off to where they can find that item which has a barcode. So you wait in your line and people are passing in front of you and behind you because you're bang in the middle of that main thoroughfare in front of the cash because you're five people back so you're, you're exposed, you're stuck and you're feeling hotter and hotter in that winter coat that you now know you should have left in the car. And if one more person wishes you happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, you're going to lose your stuff. Advent of course is a time for waiting. It's a time for uh, waiting in line. It's a time for waiting for your Amazon package. It's a time for waiting for stores to open. It's a time for waiting for family to arrive. It's a time for waiting for flights, waiting on the phone, waiting for the present that you are hoping is under the tree. And uh, waiting can be a very wearying experience. It can wear you down. And in our lectionary reading this morning, James, who's the brother of Jesus, and the leader of the early Jerusalem church, he knows that waiting is hard work because he writes these words, you must also, you also must be patient, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. And that phrase, strengthen your hearts, I don't know, but when I read this passage, it jumped out to me because uh, it's such a fresh way of seeing things, strengthen your hearts, because what this means is that however weak or strong your heart is at the moment, that there is room for growth, there is room for improvement, that your heart can become stronger. At the time of James in the early church, people were tired of waiting, waiting for change, waiting for justice. You see, James wrote this letter to Jews who fled or were scattered after Stephen's martyrdom. So there was a lot of 
anxiety, a lot of worry, a lot of real fear. Plus they were refugees. So you add into this mix, he's writing to a refugee church who are afraid. Plus lots of the Jews didn't like or trust the Christians because they were considered a sect. They were considered strange, weird people who do weird things and they worship this kind of mashup version of the true God. And so the early believers in Jesus found themselves on the outside of society. They were mistreated and they were mistrusted and they were misunderstood. Their existence is under threat. They are in the middle of an existential crisis. It would have felt like the entire world was against them. And so these words of James, this early church leader, the brother of Jesus or the half-brother of Jesus would have resonated in the hearts of these small house churches spread over Palestine. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Now, when we read this, we tend to jump to, okay, Jesus is coming again, uh, the second coming, end of days, rapture, if you're into that kind of thing. This is what it means. But James probably wasn't talking about end times. Uh, the fulfillment of James chapter 5 verse 8 would have been a lot closer. In fact, it would have been in the same generation of the people that he was writing to. Because, in fact, just in just uh, 20 years later, the Lord God came in justice and he judged the people of Israel. And the mechanism that God used to judge the people of Israel was the Roman Empire. And so, in, and so the Romans in AD 70, after a long siege, they overthrew Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple and along with it, all, all of the corruption that had taken place there in the name of Yahweh, in the name of God. That's what the Lord's Lord, Lord's coming would have meant to James's first readers, not the end of the world, but the end of an era. And so in that context, while the early Christians were still waiting for the Lord's coming, the posture that they were encouraged to have was one of patience. And in that atmosphere of patience, to actively work on strengthening their hearts. I want you to imagine that you're waiting for an important surgery. You know that the surgery is coming. You don't know exactly when because you're waiting on the process. But while you're waiting for this very important, potentially life-saving surgery, the options in front of you are to sit around and eat fries and poutine and binge watch as many shows as you can. Or you can try to get strong and healthy to increase your chance of surviving the surgery when it comes. And part of getting healthy is cardio. I don't do a lot of cardio, as you can see, but this means getting your heart strong. Helping your heart get ready to handle the shock of the system that surgery is going to inflict on your body. And so getting into good health while you're waiting is good use of time uh, until that surgery that will hopefully put everything right. And that's really the sense that we have here, is, is wait until God puts everything right, but don't just wait passively. Instead, as you're waiting, strengthen your heart. Do some spiritual cardio. Now, of course, we're not waiting for the invasion of the Roman Empire to overturn systemic religious corruption, right? We're not waiting for that. 
but we are actually waiting for Jesus you know, to come again. We are waiting for him to finally put everything right, when everything sad will come untrue, like I mentioned a few weeks ago. And James, James's um, advice to us is that when we are tempted to want God to hurry things along, to fix everything, James's advice to us is to be like a farmer, is to make like a farmer. It says in uh, James chapter 5, verse 7, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be patient until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth and is patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. And then we'll stop there for now. There are many things that a farmer is able to do to help the process of growth along, right? But at the end of the day, the crops are going to take as long as they're going to take. But simply because there's nothing visible happening on the surface, it doesn't mean that there's a whole lot of germination and growing going on under the surface, right? So much of what God does is invisible. You cannot see it. And yet it's happening. It's happening quietly. It's happening under the surface. It's happening beyond your five senses. So it would be ludicrous to imagine a farmer planting a field of corn and then racing out the next morning and going, is it ready yet? Right? That would be ludicrous. Or, or can you imagine a farmer sitting down in his lawn chair and physically watching the soy grow from seed to harvest, as he taps his watch. Come on. Come on, what's taking you? Come on, soy, I'm waiting. And so, just like a farmer, when God says, I'm coming, but you need to wait, guess what? You need to wait, there's nothing else that you can do. And from that example of the farmer, it seems that God has embedded the requirement for patience in the DNA of nature itself. So why should we be surprised in this broken world if things aren't going exactly as we wish they were, if Jesus isn't working quite as quickly as we wish he was? Do you think that perhaps it's our incorrect assumptions of God's timelines that leads to so many crises of faith? He's not working how we want him to. He's not working as fast as he wants him to. Therefore, he's not real or he's untrustworthy. Therefore, I'm going to walk away. So many crises of faith stem from a misunderstanding of God's timelines. So make like a farmer and calm down. And then James says this, make like a prophet and don't give up. Make like a prophet and don't give up. James says, hey, you know those people that you respect and revere, you know, people like the prophets, people like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Amos or Habakkuk or Nehemiah. Yeah, those people, he says, be like them. Make like a prophet and don't give up. Brothers and sisters, Take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name as an example of suffering and patience. An example of suffering and patience. When Andrew read those words, they stood out very powerful, very powerfully to me. An example of suffering and patience. You cannot grow patience without 
suffering. There is no way to grow patience without suffering. There is no example of the easy life that leads to patience. And I wonder if you can imagine how much patience it took for, say, Isaiah or Amos or Jeremiah to stick the course and to preach God's message of judgment to an entire society that had rejected him, that were dead set against God and his message. This would have been hard work. You know, the closest I can maybe come to even imagining it is if I came into work every day to see another hateful post from one of you guys on Cornerstone Connected or yet another angry email, or if you guys were picketing outside my office there at the back of the church saying, Dan must go, Dan must go, Dan must go. Don't get any ideas because my vote's up next year. But imagine if you kept threatening me with legal action or posting negative op-eds about me in the Ottawa Citizen just over and over and over again. And yet in the midst of all that, God would not release me from this charge. He just kept saying, stick it out, Dan. Stick it out, Dan. There's more that I still have for you to do. Don't give up yet. Hold on. That's what life was like for Jeremiah. It was brutal. God kept calling him um, in his grace to preach a message of judgment to an entire culture who were rejecting God. And he went into this ministry knowing that no one would ever listen to him. Waiting for vindication isn't easy. It's not a walk in the park. When you know that you're on the side of right and yet the entire culture is against you or someone's against you. And there are some of you who are in that, in that situation now and it's tough that, 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 that you know that people are misrepresenting you, that, that you know that people are speaking bad against you. And, and this is stretching you to your limit. And you're like, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can take one more day of the meanness of people, or of their ambivalence, or the snide comments about faith, or the assumptions that people make about me simply because I love Jesus. And you're tempted to pack it in, because waiting for Jesus to come is flipping hard work. But just like that field, you do not know what's going on to the surface. You don't know what life is germinating as God quietly plants seeds. So make like a prophet and hang in there. Because here's the truth. As you hang on in there, God meets you in that place. He is Emmanuel. You encounter Emmanuel in that moment. And he comforts you and he equips you. And so in the middle of Jeremiah's pain and sadness and loneliness and this deep temptation to quit, this is what Jeremiah said to Almighty God. He said this. Why has my pain become unending, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? This is him talking to God. You truly have become like a, like a mirage to me, water that is not reliable. Okay, Jeremiah was honest with God, and we can be honest with God too in that moment of waiting. But then listen to the promise that God makes to the prophet. He says this. Then I will make you... Okay, first of all, he doesn't say, I'm going to take it away and make your life easy. Instead, this is the promise. I will make you like a fortified wall of bronze 
to this people. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to save you and rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. And so friends, if you're tempted, you know, to give in to the naysayers and the critics, if Jesus is taking too long to return, then make like a prophet and hang in there. Or as our passage says, strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. Here's the truth. If your kids are under five, don't take them to service Ottawa on a Saturday. If you know that you have to renew your license or whatever, don't take your kids with you. Because it's brutal. You're in line with your little ticket and everyone's on their phone waiting for their number to be called and, and your kids, if you have more than one, when they're waiting, they start turning on each other. They start picking and poking and pointing. She touched me, he touched me, like any kid. When kids are impatient or bored, they turn on each other. They fight and they squabble. And what's true about kids in Service Ottawa, in, in, in Service Ontario, on a Saturday is true about adults as we spiritually wait. Verse 9. Brothers and sisters, do not complain about one another so that you will not be judged. Look, the judge is standing at the door. While we're waiting for Jesus to come again, while we're waiting for this second advent, don't let him come back and find us squabbling. Because here's the thing, he's the judge. He's the judge. I'm not the judge, you're not the judge. He's the judge and he's standing at the door, meaning he can hear absolutely everything. Nothing escapes him. And so friends, when it feels like we're maybe on the wrong side of culture, we can sometimes respond to that unsettledness we feel inside by infighting. Unsettledness often leads to infighting. So someone might say our duty as Christians is to stand up against the world and someone else says no our duty is to love people into the kingdom and then the other person goes what are you talking about the world needs to be convicted of its wicked ways uh, no the world needs to be shown that Jesus is real you see how easy it is for people who all love Jesus to start complaining about one another Especially with social media, with Twitter, with an email that's just sent off in the heat of the moment. And James says, just don't do it. The judge is at the door. He's coming soon and he will make right what needs to be made right. Or in the words of uh, 1 Corinthians... So don't judge anything prematurely. Okay, take these words to heart. Don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts, and then praise will come to each one from God. Instead, let's focus on strengthening your hearts. Okay, it says here, not strengthen your heart, but it says strengthen your hearts, which means that strengthening our hearts takes place in community. We don't wait alone. None of us, if you're in Christ, none of us waits alone. We wait in community. We don't do cardio alone. Instead, we go to the gym together. We get our hearts healthy together. 1 Peter chapter 4 says this. Where am I? 
Here we go. First Peter chapter 4 says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, above all, above all, let me say that again, above all, and again, above all, over everything above all, maintain constant love for each other. Why? Since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaining. This is our posture of waiting. Or what about uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10 that says this, verse number 24 says, and let us watch out for one another, or let us consider one another, but I like this, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, it's only in community that our hearts can become strong. It's a team effort, and often it starts with you opening yourself up to somebody, being honest with them, joining a small group, taking someone out for a coffee, and just telling them how things are going. I don't know how many of you here just need to take someone out for a coffee and risk and venture and try something new and just say, would you mind listening to how things are going in my life right now? Because right now you're just burdening it inside and you're holding it inside and we're all quietly screaming. Take someone out for coffee, someone who you trust. You know, for many of us, our, our tendency is to suffer in silence. And that's exactly where Satan wants us, right? Suffering in silence and too ashamed to open up to anyone because everyone else looks so strong and so uh, fixed. But going for a coffee with a friend, having a meaningful conversation, that is spiritual cardio. That's strengthening your heart. I'm not saying add a ton of things to your list of things to do. All I'm saying is go out for a coffee with someone. And after your coffee with your friend, go home and do a heart check. How does your heart feel? Is it stronger than it was before? Probably the answer will be yes. Or here's another idea. Just time five minutes on your phone or your watch or your Alexa and just wait in silence for God. Say nothing, but just sit in silence, not praying, not thanking him, just sitting in silence. If you have to say anything, then you can just say the word Jesus over and over again, Jesus, Jesus, or just sit in silence. And after that time of silence, do a heart check. How is your heart? Is it stronger? Probably the answer is yes. Now back to our main verse. When you read the word heart, we often think of the word emotion, right? Heart equals emotion. Right, that's how we've been trained to think through our families, through popular culture, through movies. The heart is about feeling. Home is where the heart is. When calls the heart. Achy breaky heart. Right, it's all about emotion. But in the Bible, the word heart refers to something so much more. The heart refers to your will and your decisions. So when James says strengthen your heart, he's not saying strengthen your emotions, right? Strengthening your emotions might be a quick fix, but it won't lead to long-term change. You cannot fix your emotions, but what you can do is do some work under the hood, under the surface, that will result in more stable emotions. So you can't fix your emotions, but you can do stuff to level out and to uh, stabilize your emotions. So in a sense, strengthening your heart is like reps 
for the real you. Okay, strengthening the real you. You've heard of leg day, or arm day, or left glute day, or right pec day, whatever it is, there's days for everything, right? But when you strengthen your heart, what you're doing is you're literally working on everything. It's mind day, it's will day, it's emotions day, it's soul day, it's psyche day, it's everything day, because your heart affects everything. It's your true self, it's the real you with all of your complexities, that's your heart. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, having said all that this morning, I don't know how your heart is. How, how your internal life is, your inner life. I don't know whether it's strong and healthy or whether it feels like you're recovering from triple bypass surgery. Either way, you need to strengthen your heart. And I need to strengthen my heart and we need each other in order to do this. Because the heart is the central kernel of who you are. It's the real you hiding, be hiding below the surface with all of your complexities. Vines, which is this um, kind of word tool, which has been around for many, many years, says this. That the heart is used figuratively for the hidden springs of the personal life. The hidden springs. Just have an image in your mind. What does that look like? The hidden springs of the personal life. Hey, this is the real you. This is the hidden springs that are flowing up. And God sees this real you. And God loves this real you. And God's heart breaks over this real you. But in my experience as a pastor, through listening to you, but also in my experience as a sinful human being, our hearts often become the place where we learn to cope with the Hardships of life often in an unhealthy way. It's a place where sin can breathe and blossom and grow. And so Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 15. He says, from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person or in the words of James, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. So when the heart is left alone and God is not invited in, this is what happens. Our hidden springs become stagnant. There's this like film of oily gunk on top. And sooner or later, this stuff comes out. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. Again, what an image that is. You produce evil out of the evil that is stored up on shelves, piling up in your heart from the mouth. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. What is inside, in short, what this means is that what is inside eventually squeezes out. It flows out. You cannot stop what is inside coming out. However, when we encounter Emmanuel, when we allow Jesus to do his cleansing and healing work in us, then the heart can become a place of great beauty and peace, a sanctuary. What is inside the heart? The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. First Peter 3 verse 4. Isn't this a beautiful image of what we could all have? Maybe this morning you have a broken heart. If so, listen to these words. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. 
And so why not this Advent invite him into your brokenness? Maybe take Jesus out for a coffee. Invite him into your blue Christmas. He's near. Or maybe you have a doubting heart. You have some arrhythmia going on. It's not quite beating as it should. What used to be so clear um, and certain is now a fog. If this is you, then maybe you need to hear these words. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. So friends, this Advent, as we wait for the second coming of Christ, maybe it's time to do some spiritual cardio. Maybe it's time to strengthen your hearts. And this is my prayer as we close. This is my prayer for you. And you can have your eyes open or you can have your eyes closed as I pray this over you. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. One more time. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word.